SuperThink's mission is to create a community of a million acts of radical gratitude. On Tuesday, May 2nd, we partnered with the Returning Veterans Project to do just that. The organization that brought us here was started by a need and a chance to connect people who wanted to help with people who needed help. It was also started by a person. Her name is Carol Levine. She's a licensed clinical social worker, founded the organization because she thought reintegration might be really challenging for someone who had just come home from a war zone. In two days, she was credited with gathering together 25 local therapists who were willing to donate their time, to provide health care services for returning veterans. Let's be loud for Carol Levine. Those of you who know me know that I'm not particularly fond of public speaking, and I'm not really good at telling stories either, <laughs> but um, I'm good at gratitude, so I couldn't say no to the opportunity to come up here tonight and acknowledge all the people who've worked to make our project a success. So I'm not going to give you a story, but I am going to give you a big super thank you. When I look back over the past 12 years, I'm just filled with gratitude. It seemed that all the right people just appeared at the right time to help us. Uh, first, the providers who enthusiastically agreed to provide pro bono services to returning veterans and their families. Those first 25, and then the hundreds who joined them along the way. Many, many thanks to all of you for your wonderful work. It took only two days to enlist these first providers. It then took six months to find somebody who could connect us with the veterans community. I followed many leads. I went down many dead ends. Nobody quite knew what to do with me and my list of 25 therapists <laughs> until I had the good fortune to meet Mike Maxwell. At the time, Mike was head of the PTSD team at the Portland VA. For some reason, he decided to trust us. He introduced me to the other VA therapists, he told returning guard units about the services we were providing, and he sent us our first referral. Now that he's retired from the VA, he's our board president. But Mike, this project just would not have happened if it weren't for you. A million thank yous are not enough to express my gratitude. So um, I also wanted to thank the ad hoc committee members who, when we started, worked tirelessly to put all the pieces in place, and then Ben Morad, who came on board and helped organize us as an official nonprofit. And then how lucky were we to find Bell Landau? Our amazingly accomplished executive director. She and her dedicated, hardworking staff, Michelle, Mike, Casey, have taken us to a whole new level of service. And then I feel gratitude for the people who served on our board over the years and to the many people who supported us emotionally and financially. And most of all, I'm grateful to the veterans who have taught me so much. They had the courage to call for help when they needed it. And I know that's never easy. And then they were willing to trust us with the care of their souls. You have added so much to my life. I just am inspired by you continually. Thank you so much.
Listen in as our friends Eddie, Kelly, and Jordan talk about how the Returning Veterans Project has made an impact on their lives. I want to bring up our first storyteller. His name is Eddie. He served in the Marines as an avionics technician from 1989 to 1994 in Desert Storm. He obtained the rank of Sergeant E-5 2004, while at U of O, enlisted in the National Guard, was deployed for Operation Iraqi Freedom II. From 2008-2010, worked for the Psychiatric Department at OHSU as a military culture consultant. From 2007 to 2017, he has worked as a group co-facilitator for the Cadre Program, a domestic violence batter intervention program for veterans in Oregon City, among other things. We'd like a big, big round of applause and welcome for Eddie Black. Thanks for being here. Second one, two. Okay. Cool beans. Man, those lights are bright. Holy shnikes. All right. So, here we some of the stuff that I've done. I've done a, a lot of different jobs. Uh, firefighter, dog trainer, boat painter, house builder, general construction. But a lot of my jobs I've done have been bartending and in the service industry, 15, 16 years. And uh, I was the goofball. I mean, I'm the guy that has a uh, puppet hidden behind the bar, and as I just look at you, stone-cold face like this, and this little puppet pops up and goes, you want another drink? <laughs> goofball. Everybody knows that I'm a goofball. I'm, I don't take much of anything seriously. And then one night, working bartending or such, and uh, the wait staff have tea glasses and stuff like that that goes to the back of the house, because I only have one little bitty dishwasher. I ain't got time to wash all your glasses. You're... I got to wash my cocktail glasses, my bar glasses, whiskey glasses, the whole nine yards. And a friend of mine, one of my best friends in the world, um, he kept bringing me tea glasses over and over again. I was just I was busy. It's like, dude, take these someplace else. I don't have time to wash all your water glasses. We got in an argument. We go in the back of the room, back of the kitchen, and we're just in each other's face. I got to a point where... I wanted to stab him in the face. Seriously, I am not making that up. 49% of me wanted to just, I saw there's a knife right there, there's a nail right there, there's hot water right there, all these different things around me. I just wanted to stab him in the face and kill him. 49% of me was scared to death and it was pleading. My, my, my soul was, was screaming in panic inside me, please run outside this restaurant, just run into the night, run away as fast as you can because you're about to stab your friend in the face. 2% of me didn't know what to do. Let me back up. There's a street north of Solder City, Baghdad, Route Copper. In October 2004, we were in a firefight three hours long and there's this one point in particular when I was in the middle of this road, and it's about the size of I-5. It's wide. And if you read the Iliad, talk about how, how Ares, the god of war, blood-stained, gore-soaked Ares, overcome with bloodlust. That was me. I was death incarnate. All I wanted to do was just keep going forward and then just shoot. And I remember shooting and reloading my magazine. And all I wanted to do was, how can I get to the enemy so I can kill it? I loved that feeling. Oh, I loved it. And when I was in the back of that kitchen, ready to stab my friend in the face, that was where I was at, right there. And I was scared to death. And a friend of mine managed to, without touching me, <laughs> pull me out of the kitchen. 
And as soon as I turned that corner and got away from that little incident, that 49% that wanted to destroy him evaporated. And all of us left with 49% of panic. And I went to the back of the restaurant and I crawled underneath the table. And I fell apart. <laughs> I absolutely just fell apart. I just called my therapist like, like three times. And she finally answered the phone. And it was three, you know, three times in the middle of the night, midnight. And she's like, what's up? What, what, what do you need? I went, to the, I went to this therapist for two years. What I had never learned in the Marine Corps, what I learned very well was how to go and destroy something. But what I never learned was how to sit with something that was uncomfortable. And, and what Deborah showed me so often in our two, year, two years that she worked with me uh, was I would be able to show her some of these things I was very ashamed of. And, and hated about myself, that I, that I relished this. And she would sit with this, and there'd be tears in her eyes, and she would sit with this, and this thing was just so difficult. And she would say, I'm, she showed me that people are strong enough to handle this, that I could actually lean on somebody. That was new. But more than that, she showed me how I was able to sit with something that was uncomfortable and then process it instead of just burying it. That was... Remarkable. I, I didn't know what that looked like. I'd never seen that before. And so two years of being able to sit with these emotions and trusting that somebody else could actually sit with it with me was different. So I, I, I've said this a million times, <laughs> that if it wasn't for the two years of patience weekly that Deborah gave to me, I would probably be in prison. I promise you. <laughs> Multiple times have I tried to do violence, stop myself at the end. Deborah helped me navigate myself out of that. I am eternally grateful for that. But also, I'm eternally grateful for Carol because she started this. She looked up and said, how can we do this? How can we, where something needs to be done, let's do it. So I am, I, am, I, am, I cannot tell you how grateful <laughs> I am for the love and patience and, and, and such that the organization has given me and it has allowed me to learn and grow and not shrink away from fear of the harm I may do other people. I actually sit with it and I teach soldiers now how to be better people, hopefully. Uh, I, that's such a small thing to say. It, I can't convey how much I, that I love you. I can't. It's impossible. So, <laughs> if you need it, you got it. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Kelly is Social Programs and Peer Supervisor for Folk Times Drop-In Mental Health Socialization Programs. Has been in Portland since 2001. Kelly helps connect people who share the experience of living with mental health issues with peer support and community social programs through rural outreach around Oregon. Fun fact, she worked on Saturday Night Live back in the day. Kelly Davis, everybody, come on up. Eddie's a hard act to follow. Okay, thank you for having me here today. I'm a little nervous, but I'm gonna take a deep breath. My name is Kelly Davis. 
I was born in 1971 in Brooklyn, New York, to an incredible Jewish family. Um, my parents were hippies, very funky. I grew up in a hair salon my whole life. Um, extremely happy. Um, I had as much love as you could possibly have. I graduated from college. I went to um, college in upstate New York. I graduated with an art degree. And then after I graduated college, I went back to Manhattan, where um, I pursued a career in fashion styling, wardrobe work, in film and TV. Of course, bartending, waiting tables, doing everything you need to do to survive in New York and the expense of rent. I eventually landed a job, which was amazing, um, on Saturday Night Live, Conan O'Brien, VH1. I was a cue card gal. I transcribed scripts. Along with that, I developed this incredible drug habit. I was a cokehead. As cliche as it sounds, uh, Saturday Night Live and cocaine go like milk and cookies. You know, it's, uh, it's one and the same. But I sunk really far, and I bottomed out really hard. Uh, season ended, I got myself on a train, and I ended up in Boston in rehab. While I was in Boston, I, I worked really hard to get myself better. Struggled because I had this great opportunity in New York, but I had to move forward, it wasn't healthy. Eventually hitched a ride to Portland, Oregon. Totally changed, right? Like, just get the hell out. I went from Manhattan to Boston, from Boston to Portland. 9-11 happened a year later and it changed my life. I uh, lost a lot of people I knew, and I needed to really refocus. So two weeks after 9-11, I signed up to go back to school with hopes to be a nurse. I signed up, I studied hard, I became a nursing assistant, I became a medication aide. I applied year after year after year, and I didn't get into nursing school. And it was really depressing to me, because all I wanted to do was help my own depression of I'm a really big loser. All I want to do is help and I can't get into school. It was really hard on me. 2005, I decided to go back to what makes me a lot of money and I went back to bartending. That was the next chapter of my life. While I was bartending, uh, it's when I met this guy. I met this uh, big, strong, handsome looking guy came in. I liked his shirt. He had a nice pink shirt on. He looked great. Uh, but he was like this good guy, right? And I was like newly single. And uh, over time, he kept leaving these uh, notes in my tip jar, trying to ask me out on dates. And then I saw his, uh, his face on the cover of the Willamette Week. They published his war journals. It showed a lot about his character to me. It was like, this is a really good guy. Wow, this is really interesting. So uh, after four months, I finally accepted a date. After two months, we got engaged. After six months, we got married. And then five months later, I ended up in a psychiatric ward. Yes, it was a little bit insane. I didn't really tell many people, but I um, applied again to nursing school. I didn't get in. Uh, a week after Sean and I got married, uh, I got a, a letter saying, you didn't get accepted. What a loser. Like, I couldn't believe this. this is happening to me. All I want to do is help people. And now I'm with this, like, this war hero and this man. That's how I saw him. You know, this so everything was grandiose. Like, he was just, oh, my God, who am I to be with this person? I always saw it as an onion. Like, my shells started to fall apart, and I just started to really, really disintegrate into my um, depression. Instead of uh, doing research for uh, my honeymoon, the lunatic in me did research for uh, how to kill myself. 
What was the best way? What's the easiest way? I was obsessed with it. I would go onto the internet at night and just do all this research on suicide. And then I finally just was like, all right, let's try this again. Let's like, hopefully like I succeed, right? This big loser, let's see if I succeed. So I, I was ready to, to attempt and Sean walked in and once again, I failed. Um, police at the door, fire truck, the ambulance, you know, you're already in this psychosis and craziness and um, it gets worse. So they brought me up to the hospital and uh, they lock you in this room. At that time I was 100 pounds, I'm five one and a half, and I got big police officers outside your door. They, uh, they didn't have a bed for me <laughs> in Portland in a psychiatric ward. So they throw me into a locked vehicle and this is still within the same night and they send me down to Coos Bay, Oregon. So it's a six hour ride. I'm out of my mind as it is. I just, you know, uh, had all of these horrible things happening. And um, I ended up in a psychiatric ward down there. But the most amazing thing was this guy who I just married, like he never left my side. Like he was always there. Like he followed the locked vehicle all the way down to Coos Bay, Oregon. Like, you know, really I was like, this guy's gonna, f Ooh, excuse me, this guy's gonna leave me. <laughs> this guy's gonna leave me. This is horrible, how can I do this? He didn't leave me. I got released from the psych ward, ended up back in Portland, really heavily medicated. And then two weeks later, I attempted suicide again. And I did it very dramatic. I tried stabbing myself. I tried stabbing myself in my heart. It was like a film. I ended up in the psych ward again. Two weeks later, Sean connected me with Returning Vets Project. And what I'm grateful for in my story is that my husband never left my side. And Returning vets changed my entire future. And now after that, I'm able to now help others. I'm able to tell my story and work in mental health, work in the healthcare that I, that I knew that I had, had desired to do. I knew I was good at it. That's what I'm ultimately grateful for. And I really want to thank Returning vets, and I want to thank my husband for not leaving my side. So thank you. <laughs> Jordan is a Marine, an Iraq War veteran turned artist, about to graduate from Merrill Hirsch with a Bachelor's in Fine Arts. Found out about the RVP through his grandmother and teacher, who are donors to RVP. He reached out to a few providers and has been essential to where he is today. He wants to say thank you. Jordan Van Sice, come on up. Hello, everybody. It's funny, my first note here says, remember to breathe. <laughs> I asked myself, how do you forget to breathe? Isn't it supposed to be one of those automatic bodily functions? Maybe it's not that I forget to breathe, it's just very intense for me to be up here in front of you all. It's very weird for me to be the center of the uh, attention. But anyways, I want to thank the RVP from the bottom of my heart for, and super thanks for bringing us all together. And I especially want to thank my therapist who's worked with me for the past five years. Michelle, if you're out there, um, thank you so much. I would not be out, um, here without you. So I want to uh, talk to you all tonight about spirit animals. All right. When I was in Iraq, our squad got together and we decided we all need a call sign. And the way to get to these call signs was to figure out what our spirit animal was. Okay. 
And so the belief is that we as human beings, we have a special connection to certain animals throughout our lives, uh, which is a little redundant in my opinion because we're all connected to everything all the time. But our spirit animal is super important because it's there to protect and to guide us. And being a Marine, infantry Marine, in the middle of Fallujah, Iraq, I thought I was going to need a pretty badass spirit animal. <laughs> so I was thinking to myself, uh, what should I be? I thought maybe a jaguar, a wolf, maybe a rattlesnake. Those sounded pretty good. People were choosing animals you would think for Marines. Somebody was a silverback gorilla. Somebody was a lion. These people were choosing the strongest animals on Earth. But when it got my, my turn, nobody agreed with me that any of my animals fit the essence of who I was. And so they all got together and they voted on what my spirit animal was. <laughs> a baby giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> And not just a baby giraffe, but a baby bow-legged giraffe. <laughs> and I know they were having fun, but at the time it really bugged me. It got under my skin, you know? I was like, why do you guys get all the cool animals? And I have to take the giraffe. I'm like, combat zone is no place for a giraffe. <laughs> but you see today, I can appreciate the symbolism of the baby bow-legged giraffe. But at the time, like I said, it really bugged me. And the reasons kind of come from before I joined the Marine Corps. I got interested in the military from my law enforcement teacher. His name was Mr. Matthews, and he's also a veteran. He just embodied this, this strength and this confidence and this integrity. I sensed this integrity in him, and I'm like, I want to be that. I want to be more like him. And my decision to join the Marine Corps uh, in particular was because it was supposed to be the hardest branch, and you know, the few, the proud. I wanted to prove to myself and all my haters, you know, throughout my life, I guess, that the strength that I sensed in myself but that had not actually, you know, manifested was truly in there. There's other complicated reasons for me joining the military, but there's just something about the, the warrior archetype I felt like I, I needed for myself. I need to experience it. And so this quiet, soft-spoken introvert went off to boot camp and became a Marine. <laughs> After I finished School of Infantry, there was 13 guys from our graduating class that got selected to do the scout sniper in dock. It's basically seven days of food and sleep deprivation, um, land nav courses day and night. We're just running until literally all the muscles in my legs cramped and I just collapsed on the ground. Um, but after that seven days, I earned the title of pig, which is short for professionally instructed gunman. And you guys, I cannot tell you how proud I was at that moment of what I had accomplished. I was among the most experienced, professional, educated Marines that I've got to come across. We were training very, very hard. You know, every single day we're doing seven, 10 mile runs in the morning. Sometimes we're carrying 60 pound packs. And being a bow-legged giraffe, you know, I'm really good at running. <laughs> uh, I got my big long legs, but my ankles and my legs, just they, I just couldn't handle that sustained weighted running on, on, you know, off trail, just rolling my ankles. And right as we we're getting close to the point, I dropped out of this platoon because of this, this injury. So I got put into what they call a line platoon. Each company in the, in the battalion has four of these line platoons. So right before we're about to deploy, I'm put in this brand new place. I'm injured. Um, I'm the new guy. I'm super depressed and just ashamed of what I saw as failure. My injury was a failure. And to make it worse, I just kind of landed in a platoon that didn't have the best leaders. And there was a couple of guys in particular that kind of saw this soft-spoken, quiet person and kind of took advantage of that. And without getting into details, you know, those, those were just the darkest months of my life. I really felt like I was losing sight of who I was. 
I felt like the connection or my ability to relate to my family had been severed just because I just in a totally different headspace. But life is funny, you know, once we were in Iraq, there's like the first or second week in Iraq, this huge logistical switch happened. And I was one of the Marines that just got switched. And I, I landed in a mobile assault platoon. And this is, it was perfect because I was like running around in a, a Humvee or an MRAP, you know, upgunning or sitting in the back instead of walking. So my, my ankle wholly, fully healed in Iraq and I was able to just continue doing what we were doing. And so in this platoon, I've met three of my closest friends that were responsible for connecting me to my inner draft. Their names are Lance Corporal Talone, Sergeant Mata, and Corporal Levi Lopez. Levi was my team leader. We had a lot of fun together in Iraq, as much fun as you can have. One day we were voluntold to go on a raid with another, another squad, you know? So we just get our gear, we, we go to the briefing room, we're sitting in the briefing. Normal things are getting talked about, what the route is, what the, what the uh, call signs are, what the uh, evacuation route's gonna be, and they get to the part about me and Levi. And as, you know, kind of last minute add-ons, I assumed that we were just gonna be like guarding the vehicles or, you know, maybe they need an extra upgunner. But no, Levi and I were the assault element of this raid, which meant that we were gonna be the first two guys kicking in the door going into this house. When this happened, I was looking around like, me? <laughs> the baby bow-legged giraffe? <laughs> You know, I'm in a room full of gorillas and lions, and you want the draft, the baby draft to go in first? Um, I'll admit I was a little nervous. I was a little nervous. So after the briefing, Levi and I would go out for a little powwow. We'd start talking about, you know, what we're going to do, how we're going to move, all these things. And it was a really special moment in our relationship because we had to put total trust into each other. Yeah, and I really cherished that moment with him. And, you know, thankfully we survived this raid physically unharmed. So after Iraq, our uh, platoon disbanded. It's just the way the Marine Corps works. After deployments, people get out, they leave. Some people stay in, some people redeploy. Um, I, for one, got out. I couldn't wait to get out. Um, I started school the, the month after our, I EAS'd. Um, and I was kind of on track to do like a practical kind of higher paying job of uh, x-ray tech technician. You know, as time went on, the dust started to settle. These unprocessed experiences of the, the Marine Corps started surfacing. And I started just getting angry. I started drinking more often. I was getting mad without having any clear reason, like what was I upset about, you know? So I just continued this, to drink and suppress until I got the first call about somebody from Charlie Company committing suicide. And it wasn't just anybody. It was Levi. Um, he's one of my closest friends, you know, he's an older brother. He was the silverback gorilla, you know? And I figured if he can't, if he can't conquer this internal battle going on, how the hell am I going to? Since I've been out in 2011, five of my friends from Charlie Company have committed suicide. This is where, you know, my path to healing kind of began though. Unfortunately, it's the silver lining of Levi's death. My family kind of saw me struggling, my grandma Penny, and I had a writing teacher at PCC. They both uh, donate RV to RVP, they know about them. And that's how I was connected to um, Michelle, my, my therapist. And Michelle is a very, very special person to me. It's, it's hard to describe the appreciation and the gratitude I have for her. The past five years, she has not only helped me process the Marine Corps, but my childhood experiences, 
she's helped me develop healthier coping strategies than drinking, such as meditation, stretching, nutrition, writing down notes to remind myself to breathe at the beginning of a speech. <laughs> <laughs> you know? She's helped me develop my artistic practice. And this June, I'm, I'm actually, I switched degree programs. I'm going to graduate with a bachelor's in fine arts in June. So thanks. And, and also, I got it into, chosen for an international art contest um, through a picture that's directly dealing with the introspective work that Michelle works with me for. Uh, thank you, Michelle, again. Uh, you seriously brought light back into my life. I've heard many times over the past six years that I do not come off as a Marine, <laughs> if you could believe it. I, uh, and I'll be honest, it used to really bug me. I used to get so upset that people would look at me and they'd, see, they'd still see a kid. They'd, see, they'd still see this gentle person. When I had this, I felt I just had this battle going inside me. But Michelle has taught me a new perspective on this. I now, today I appreciate the fact that after the hell I've been through, that the child inside me still shines through that darkness, you know? And I can't believe I'm going to say this, but my friends in Iraq are right. My spirit animal is a baby bow-legged giraffe. <laughs> and it has led me to this moment where I want to end my speech by reading a poem that I wrote when I was nine years old. It's called Inside of Me. Inside of me there is a mind full of wonders and a waterfall full of tears. Inside of me I have a battery full of energy and strength. There is a heart full of love and a volcano full of madness. Inside of me I have a rainbow full of friendship, a funny bone full of funniness, and a hyena full of laughter. Inside of me there is a pumpkin filled with scariness. Inside of me I have a lot of feelings, but that is only some of what is inside of me. Thank you. The Returning Veterans Project serves to provide free health and wellness services to post 9-11 war zone veterans, service members, and their families in our Oregon and Southwest Washington communities. The Returning Veterans Project receives no government funding and depends solely on private donations from individuals, foundations, small businesses, and corporations. To learn more, check out www.returningveterans.org. The music you heard in today's episode is by Pottington Bear. This episode was made thanks in part to SuperThank, as well as X-Ray FM. To learn more, you can visit SuperThank.org. <laughs>